and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and we're here with Donna Otto and we are on lesson nine of 13 on the idea of staying. And today we're talking about staying in the book. Big T, big B book. <laughs> Which you carry around on your telephone now. Yes. I know. I, uh, I was someplace a few years ago and somebody said open your bible and then there was a laughter in the congregation because I, there were no pages rustling there was the click 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 of our telephones going on i think it's a wonderful thing to have and all the versions i can look up any version anywhere i still do carry my big black bible with me to church though well this is donna otto talking about things i love and talking about talking to men and women i love the audience of Modern Homemakers, which began about 37 years ago, has generally been young women and young women around first the Phoenix Valley and then the country and, and then through podcasting around the world. We've been podcasting for 17 years now, and we're about to hang up our microphone and headsets and uh, let Modern Homemakers have a rest. So today, I wanted to talk to you about this subject of knowing the book. And we are all watching something on our televisions or hearing it on our news, or some of us are reading it in the newspaper about preparation for an election, an election that's coming soon, mid midterm elections. And we're certainly seeing candidates everywhere for the next uh, presidential election. We're also seeing uh, a very complicated war that has begun between Israel and the Hamas in the Holy Land, and we're all suffering from that. We're suffering from it because we're watching it. And I hear a lot of people shaking their heads and saying, I don't like either one of these candidates, and I don't like anyone who's been on the dais for the debates and I don't know why we can't have one person that some of us like. Now, I don't know your persuasion, and I'm not here to, to persuade you about anything. But I am here to say that it, it, this has never been like it is in the last few elections, where the history of our country says, I don't want either of these candidates. And I know that you have heard that as well. Um, I often speak about the subject of hospitality, and, and hospitality, by my definition, is in your eyes and your hands and your heart. Your eyes and your hands and your heart. I don't think we see much hospitality these days, not at least at a national level. Announcers and commentators and politicians and paid public servants talking over each other, interrupting, using coarse language, using uh, strength of their voice, which sounds a little mean, uh, using slang words, um, rudeness, or as we talked in our last lesson, what feels like untrained adults. It's a difficult thing to make a choice 
of who we're going to vote for. And we live in a country that allows us the privilege of voting when there are countries all around the world that have do not have that privilege. But we're just one nation, and the Scripture calls to us in the Psalms, and he says that one nation, any nation, but one nation, including ours, is just a drop in the bucket to God and his kingdom. Did you hear me? Our nation is just a drop in the bucket to God and his kingdom. He doesn't devalue us. That's, he's not saying we're less. He's just saying we should remember who we are in the context of who God is in God's kingdom. And, and we don't understand all of God's kingdom. As I've gotten older and I've heard people say, well, there could be life in other planets. I had to believe there are other planets. I mean, I learned that when I was in third grade, you know, nine planets and Pluto. What was the, they used to have a, a, a jargon that you could remember the word and that word had all the letters of the first name, the first letter of every planet. That was a big deal. But if we're just a drop in the bucket, according to God's word, in his kingdom, then how do you choose? What do you say about the candidates? What do you say about public officials? What do you say about a man who we watched on the news last night, a picture of a man who stabbed a six-year-old child because he was born to a Palestinian pair of parents? What do you say about these officials. We have been through riots and uh, storms in the last years through the COVID. We are once again looking at the respect or disrespect of various nationalities. We are always in uh, a, a fight to have more respect, more honor, more authority, more integrity. And I think all of this seems complicated until I come down to this bottom line of that every answer, of every question I have ever asked is found in the book, the book of all books, the Bible. And I know that reading the Bible is not in big favor these days, but I want you to know that I believe that God's Word is the inspired Word of God. I think it was written by the inspired, uh, by the inspiration of God, by man. So, yeah, I think there are some errors in the Bible, not perfect in any way because it's not God. And yet, as an adult, now as an adult, I can say that I can honestly tell you that any question I have ever had of a moral value, of uh, an instruction value, of what shall I do about this value from the smallest to the largest, I have found a response in the Bible. Now, I love books. Uh, I, My husband and I go around and round about books. And actually, I have come to not like Amazon because I used to be able to buy books and bring them home in a bag. And he didn't always see that I bought more books. But now he sees an Amazon box. He picks it up. He shakes it a little. And he says, another book or two. And it's true. I love books. And the Lord has used books in my life in a tremendous way. 
And we have something here in Phoenix called the Visiting Nurse Book Sale. I don't know if it's held in other cities or states, but the Visiting Nurses put on an annual book sale of a half a million used books. <gasps> My favorite event of the year, a half a million dollars, a half a million books that cost anywhere from $1 to $5. Now, there's a section of them that are manuscripts that are um, historical or first editions, and you pay a little more for those if you go into those rooms. And on the second day of the sale, all the books are cut in half of that amount. So, yeah, we used to go down with a cart and a perfect box or two and fill them up, novels that we'd love to read and pass on for 50 cents. Now, another characteristic about me is the quantity of questions I ask, and usually I ask two or three questions in a row. My husband has been trying for decades to say, honey, just one at a time. Like, where were you? What were you doing? How did this happen? Instead of, hi, okay, okay, where were you? you say, Can I ask one question at a time and get your answer? So I have a lot of questions. I, I have, when I think of my life, I think I probably really have asked millions of questions, philosophical questions and practical questions. Um, what shall I do with my life? And who shall I marry? And how do I show Jesus my love? And how do I show the love of Jesus to others? How do I spend my money, my time, my energy? What care, kind of parent shall I be? What, what kind of grandparent will I be? What kind of teacher will I be? What kind of friend will I be? What about suicide or euthanasia? What about abortion? Shall I, shall I stop there? That's just like the, the, very, the very tip of the list of things. But I have always found that when I take one of these questions, and look at it in its entirety, I can find the answers to all of those questions I just said. Now, in my youth, I used to think, wouldn't you love it if there was a book with your name on it, like the Book of Donna, right? And then I would go to chapter one, and there would be 10 verses, and they would be the verse from zero to 10 verses from 12 verses from the January through December of every year of my life. So if I was 40 years old and 45 years old, I would go to the book of Donna, chapter 4, verse 5, and it would tell me what to do that year. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody in the world would have their own book. That not, didn't happen that way. No, it's no. not going to happen that way. Not ever. So I want to ask you, do you know the book? Do you know that it is the most shoplifted book in history? And that today, an average American has, well, first of all, more than 50 books a day are sold. No, 50 books a minute every day are sold Bibles in America. A minute. So what are we doing with all these? 93% of all Americans have more than one Bible. A lot of them haven't read them ever. The average American reads, 12% of America reads the Bible daily. 12% of our entire population. Now, there are a lot of things about the Bible that are difficult to understand. <clears throat> There's all the archaeological confirmations in the Bible and what we see in the world. And there are all the prophecies and there are over 40 authors 
written over 1,500 years in three continents and three languages. That's a lot. That's a lot to learn. People often reject the Bible by saying it's full of contradictions. But the part, in fact, they reject is the part that they find contradictions to. If you're looking for the Bible to find out if the thee and the thou and the city and the name and it's all exactly correct, you're, you're not reading the Bible with a heart that will help, that the Bible will help you. And I frankly would encourage you to stop. Just, just put it away. I meet with women um, regularly who are looking for an increased spiritual life and I remember the first time, this may have been 10 or 12 years ago, a woman came in. Uh, she had been meeting with me for several months, and she said something about this vast amount of Bible reading she was doing, and daily and every day. And I said to her, you know what I would encourage you to do? I would encourage you not to read your Bible for 30 days. She just, she just took a gasp of air, and she put her hand on her chest. It was like... How could, I, how could I not do that? And then I said to her what someone had said to me decades earlier, you know more doctrine than the Apostle Paul did when he wrote the books in the New Testament. But why do we read and read and read and read and read and read so we can say? I've read through the Bible several times. I, I can say that to you. But I can tell you, except for the first time that I read through the Bible, and I read through the Bible to understand the congruity of why things were where they were, placement, and the Old Covenant, and the books of poetry, and the wisdom sayings, and the epistles, and the New Testament versus the Old. That read-through, which gave me this broad understanding, was the best read-through. The others I did because... I'd heard people say, if you read through the Bible every year, you know, you'll, you, none of those things happen to be true. I've many times mentioned a book written by Amy Carmichael called Mimosa. Her name was Mimosa, and she found Christ in, deep in India in one moment of her life. And she never had a Bible. She never had a Christian friend. She never had anything but the work of the Holy Spirit. And after 21 years of living her life in faith, living in an Indian family that did not accept Christianity, she met Amy Carmichael and became a follower of Amy Carmichael in working in Christian ministries. So the ancestry of this book appeals to me, yes, but how many of you are adopted? or adopted children, or have adopted children, or want to adopt children. The Bible makes us understand the ties to family, but the New Testament reminds us very clearly that Jesus himself says, who are my mother and my father? I do not have to be related to Abraham or to David. I'm married to David, and I often say to him, do you have any connection to King David? Think about King David's life, who God calls himself a man after his own heart. He'd committed adultery and murder and had poor relationships with his son. I mean, the, the, the scripture is full of reality. 
But if you decide to read the Bible, to understand the Bible and the truth of God's Word, to give you peace and understanding for the way you live your life, you will find it there. You will find it there. It is there that I found Christ and said what I call the big yes. Uh, the first time I said yes to Christ, that I wanted to follow him. You will read the Bible and understand how God created man and how he created woman and man to create others. You will read, if you read the Bible, through the Sermon on the Mount, where I think if you want to know any of the questions about your daily life, you can find it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, or 7. You will also come to understand what a genealogy is in the Bible. The big picture, your aunts and uncles, your sisters and brothers, your grandmothers and great-grandmothers, they are all a part of your genealogy, and some of them you don't know, and some of them you don't like, but that's okay. The Bible is divided in 66 books into two sections, an old section, Old Testament, the covenant of the law, and the New Testament, 27 books, the covenant of grace. That's what you need to know about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the difference between the law and grace. And anyone who I say those words to have a pretty keen understanding of what those words mean. And if you, like me, like biographies, you'll love the Old Testament because there are many of the books of the Old Testament that are in-depth biographies of people who are important to the history of the children of Israel, the original um, followers, and those people like David and Joseph. The story of Joseph is one of my favorite accounts, maybe because I had trouble in my life with forgiveness. And when I watched Joseph, read Joseph's life, and watched what I saw him doing after what he had had done to him, he was not bitter, he was not hostile, he was not mad. Well, he went through all of those things. He went to prison. He was accused of trying to solicit the Pharaoh's wife. He was accused of so many things you can't keep track of them. And in the end, the very people who betrayed him, his own brothers, brought he brought those brothers into his home to feed them and care for them and to care for his father in the land that he lived in with all that he had come to love and earn with his life. So there are biographies there. When you start to look at the history of your own family and you look at your family tree, it can be really hard. I look at my own family tree and I think, wow, it's not a very good family tree. There are a lot of disrespectful people in my family tree on both sides of my family, my mother and my father's family. But when I look at it in context of the Bible and the historical part of the Bible, Genesis through Esther and the poetical part, Job through the Song of Solomon and the prophetical part, Isaiah through Malachi. And then the Old Testament is just not one continuous story, but rather the storyline of many stories. And then we move into the New Testament, which is also historical, the Gospels and the Book of Acts, which is about the first church. And then the Pauline, written by Paul, uh, instructions in doctrine. That was the remark made to me. I knew more doctrine than the Apostle Paul did. Why? Because Paul didn't have all the apostles to read, the epistles to read. 
So the epistles are written to individuals and to individual churches. So when you get down to the New Testament and you get down to stories and accounts about what happened to individuals, like uh, who was that? Onesephorus. I love to I love to talk about Onesephorus because I love that name, Onesephorus. You would not name your child Onesephorus. You wouldn't name your child Bathsheba either. But Onesephorus was a man that Paul loved. And Onesephorus was just, just, you just find him in two little verses in the book of Timothy. But Paul is saying to Timothy, when you come back, make sure that the house of Onesephorus is taken care of because he was very good to me. And Paul was in the last years of his life and he was dying. And he's giving instruction to his Timothy, who is the young man of his heart. The Old Testament is the story of God and the Hebrew people. The New Testament is the story of Jesus and the church which he founded and the leadership that he appointed. Before the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a 900-year gap, and now we have that information. But people say to me, but Donna, I hate history. I don't care about all those numbers. Well, that's okay. You don't have to care about them. But you must admit that sometimes this understanding of how it all started and where it began, and then you get to the last book and how it's going to end, the book of Revelation, which can be very hard to read. But a few weeks ago, if you will remember, if you're a regular listener, I took eight steps out of the first few chapters. Was it eight? Seven. Out of the first chapters of Revelation that had very important meaning to us in our life today. There are family topics in the Bible, and I think there are eight family topics. There's the Bible itself. There's God the Father. There's Christ Jesus the Son. There's the Holy Spirit, which is the Trinity three in one. And there are angels and man and salvation and the future. So when I go back to those questions that I had about my own life, like who should I marry and how do I show Jesus my love? Well, there's much in the Word of God that talks about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he loves and what he would like me to do in my life to show that love for him. The Bible is the foundation for what we learn about these topics who the Father is as a member of the Trinity, who Christ is as a member of the Trinity, who the Holy Spirit is as a member of the Trinity. You know, there are all these wonderful things you do. You take your finger and you bend it, and there are two knuckles and three parts. That's like the Trinity, three in one. Or there's an egg. You know, those are lovely descriptions that make you understand that they're all one. But let me just say to you that the Trinity is a powerful understanding that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who each are called to love us, and we are called to allow them to live within us and manifest their behaviors in our own behavior the Holy Spirit that we count on, the Holy Spirit who is with us always. I remember the first time I came to understand that the Holy Spirit was like a fire. Now you see that sometimes in images, fire, a flame. And I thought, yeah, well, I don't really relate to that. Until I got older and had a fireplace in my own house. And you can find me in the winter, whenever it is cold, if there is a fireplace with the fire running. My husband 
laughs at what things I will burn in the fireplace, how much, how long I can sit there. But it came to be a powerful symbol to me. And I realized one morning that watching a fire is like watching the work of the Holy Spirit. It's never the same. It's short, it's tall, it's wide, it's blue, it's yellow, it's red, it's clear, it's white, it pops, it sparkles. The fire is never the same. You could not reconstruct it and say, do that again. It's like the mountain that I live by when the sun is setting on it. And my husband and I have been taking photographs to see how long the frame in our picture really lasts. Sometimes it's as fast as five or six seconds. I take another picture and it's completely, the, the sun has set in just enough of a way that the mountain looks completely different. And that's how the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is. He continues to work in each of us differently all the time. The Bible tells us that angels are lower than God, but higher than men, and that was man was created in God's image. The Bible describes to us what salvation is and how it is offered to us. The Bible was revealed to many by God, and the Bible was written by men. I believe there are some errors in the Bible who were inspired by God. <clears throat> you know how to find the answers, and Part of the way in finding the answers is learning how to be mature. We talked a few days ago about being trained or being taught. And the Bible is very helpful in giving us things to learn the difference between teaching and knowing some facts. That's kind of, kind of, what shall I say? Uh, I spoke out about Onesiphorus, and I know that little story found in Timothy. Well, that's just a piece of information. Actually, it was a profound passage to me because it helped me understand what things I'd look for in friendship right there. He was talking about the things that Onesiphorus did, and one of the things it said was, he hungrily searched for me. And where was Paul? Paul was in prison. He was so hard to find. Do you feel that way sometimes? People move so fast, they change their emails, their phone numbers, they're hard to find. But I think if you love someone, if you're a friend with someone, you look for them until you find them. So Onesiphorus was an important passage to me, but that's just information. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, he gives such a clear description about what the Word of God can do for us. He says, about this, we have much to say that is hard to explain, since you have become dull in understanding. <laughs> That's an insult, isn't it? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the Word of God, the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is still being an infant, unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. What he is saying there is that we can have the mind of Christ, that I don't have to be sucking milk from a bottle, that I don't have to be immature all the days of my life, 
that I can have an argue with my husband or disagree with my husband. And I believe, women, if you are listening to me, you will have disagreements with your husband until the day you die. And I kind of like that idea. I don't want David to turn into Donna, and I don't want Donna to turn into David. I want David to be himself as God made him. I want there to be a sparring and an understanding and a learning from each other, but a great respect and a determination to stay until death do us part. So knowing to find the answers and how you find the answers isn't so much about what verse or what book. It's about studying the Bible to learn how to be a mature person. I think Bible study is good to have the question in front of you, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? I did uh, that study with the book of Psalms, which are 150 Psalms in the study book. And I read through each Psalm and at every junction that I felt called to, I said, what does this mean to me? It was a three-ring notebook about three inches thick, and I don't remember how long it took me to do it. But I remember its value in my understanding of what those psalms meant to me, Donna Otto. Not to someone else, not for me to teach, but for me to understand for myself. Romans tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world. This world that I started this podcast with talking about the difficulties that we're living in, a little boy killed by a knife, 26 times stabbed in this world because he was a Palestinian child. That is not the world we want to be conformed to. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what the will of God is. And the will of God is an easy two steps, love God and love others. I'm sorry for that man whose wounds must be very deep, whose, whose trials and his loneliness. I can only imagine what must have gone on in the man who did that. But the word of God tells us we are not to be conformed to the world we're to be transformed by the renewing of our own minds so that we would understand what the will of God is. John tells us that we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And the book of Matthew tells us that there is false teaching, and we need to understand the difference between truth and false teaching. I'm getting older, and you know, this the body is often referred to as a tent, and my husband and I are talking about end-of-life things. Have you done your end-of-life things? My husband and some friends from our church held an end-of-life conference recently, and we were all encouraged to think about our wills and our um, all the forms to make sure that what we want to happen to us in the end-of-our-life days are in place. And these things are very important. But they're not as important to me as the words found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and again in the New Testament, that these words would be written on the fronts of our foreheads, on the palms, on the uh, tops of our hands, on the mezuzah. Thank you, listener, who sent me and said that word for me, which I could not find in a podcast recently. And they were to be repeated and repeated and repeated 
until these words are the words of my own heart and the way that I can learn to live in God's way, not my way, but in his way. And his way is for my best. Now, there are four steps to study. And believe me, at this point in our podcast, I'm not going to be in depth about them, but I want to give you the four steps. One, repetition. Mamas, you know this about your children. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It trains their mind. I think when I say to you, take one chapter and learn that chapter, that you can memorize it or speak it clearly before you read the whole Bible, you'd be in better shape. Repetition. It takes concentration. What does it take to concentrate? For me, it takes repeatedly repeatedly reading a passage and staying with an amount of time. So I can concentrate for about 20 minutes and not lose my concentration. So when I study the Bible, I set my timer for 20 minutes. It takes comprehension. It means that we repeat what we've been concentrating on and understanding, and that it proves to be an insight or discernment in how I can use the material I've been repeating and concentrating on. It becomes comprehensive to me that I can use it. And then it's reflective. While we repeat with concentration on a topic and bring comprehension while we study, the significance is the reflection of it. We ruminate, we reflect, we are transformed. There is an inner change in us. The Bible says that if we know him and we know his word, that we know a peace that is beyond our understanding. I want to say that to you again. A peace that is beyond our understanding. I have to tell you, I came to the studio today very unpeaceful. A number of things were swirling and happening, and the day had been a half day only, but it had been very confusing, very unpeaceful. And I came into the studio, and Leah and I prayed, and I settled myself, and I used some of the things that I've learned from studying God's Word and recognizing that it's not all about me and that the world will not uh, go to hell in a handbasket if I don't get everything done that I hope to get done today, and that though he slay me, yet I will trust him in all things, and that I know that I can go to the things that I've accumulated of information and knowledge in my own heart and of the people I've come to love and respect, some of whom I've met and some of whom I've only met on the pages who made choices that were inspiring to me, like Corey Tin Boom, who reached out her hand to one of the Nazi soldiers had, who had forever damaged her father and her sister. They have been an inspiration to me, and I know these things inside of who I am. So when I have a lack of peace, when the world gets too busy, and I've had the phone on too long, and I'm trying to accomplish too many things at one time, like ending 37 years at Modern Homemakers, I realize that the Word of God is the place that I go to where I have learned the most and where I continue to learn. 
I want to say one last thing about books, Bibles. There are so many versions, and whichever one you love to read, read it and stay with it. Don't defend it. It doesn't matter what book it is. It, it doesn't. As long as it's a, a, a tried and true biblical translation um, and, and then buy yourself a commentary on a book that you particularly love. I love the book of John, as do many people, and I have maybe seven commentaries on the book of John. I cannot tell you how many times I go to those just because I'm reading a passage out of John and I say, what does this really mean? What, are the, what do the words mean? How, why was it written? What's the context? What did it mean when the blind men said, this one thing I know, one thing, once I was blind, but now I can see. People often write and ask me, what do I read? I prefer the ESV or the NASB, but I have come to love Eugene Peterson's translation. It is a translation of the Bible called The Message. So know this book, stay in this book, know it from the inside out, never stop trying to understand how it fits into your life, and never make your life more important than reading this book and understanding its meaning, and not about information, but about the formation of your life. In the George MacDonald's wonderful, wonderful novels, Sir Gibby of the Highland. His mother has one book, and Gibby wants to know how she learned to be the person she is from one book. And she says, and having no book but the best, and no help to understand but the highest. That, Gibby, is how I became who I am. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for um, just highlighting just some, how important the book should be in our lives. And if you love books, we have some extra books. Not the great book, not the book, but a book. Loving Life as a Stay-at-Home Mom is still available. We still have copies left that we would love to send you. We are modern homemakers. And remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day by staying in the book and be transformed by God.